Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. You know, redeem, even, it's so funny, even in church, that we need to redeem the idea of the little bits and pieces of what we do, because I think it's easy for us to jump from supposedly sacred to supposedly secular, you know, and it's, we kind of turn it off, and we hang out with our friends, and then we have to turn it back on, but the challenge is for us to continue to realize, like, everything is sacred, everything is us giving an act of worship, seeing worth in who God is, and kind of devoting our attentions to Him, and so that's really what we're doing next, is kind of worship through the Word, and worship through you listening to me prattle on about all the things uh, that I want to say, because I've got the microphone. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive right into this. Uh, today's going to be a little bit more uh, creating space, less, slightly less me teaching, God willing, we'll see how that turns out, and a little bit more you interacting with the Lord. So when you came in, there was a clipboard uh, on your chair, so just keep that handy. And um, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to pray for me, and we're going to dive right into what the Lord has for us. So Heavenly Father, um, we testify to the truth that you're here and that you're with us. Um, and we, we live in that, that beautiful seeming contradiction of recognizing that you're here, but also asking you uh, to, to show up, to reveal yourself, to make yourself known here. We want more of you. That's why we're here, Lord. We want to know you. We want to experience you. And Lord, we know that you have so much that you want to say, that you want to reveal um, so, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit now to alight upon your dear ones here. Um, open up our ears to hear you speaking to us, not just theories and ideas, but really speaking to us about our own stories. Would you open up our eyes to see you moving in our lives and the lives of those around us? Would you open up our hearts to receive your truth and to be transformed by the encounter we have with you here um, so that when we leave this place, we look a little bit more like Jesus. We're carrying your presence and we're more aware of that, who you've called us to be, how you've crafted us, and what you're asking for us to do. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, a rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about calling. We've been in this series called Responding to the Invitation of God. And when we know God's heart, when we know what it sounds like when God speaks, when we understand how God speaks to each of us individually, but also as a community, what do we do with that? And I think one of the biggest questions that I'm, that I'm always wrestling with, but certainly um, helping you guys work through, is, is what is exactly calling? What is God calling each of us to individually? What's he calling us to as a church community? And then what is he calling the larger family of God to do in the world today? And so I want to kind of create these moments to help you gain some language and begin that dialogue with the Lord of, of connecting the dots between all of these seemingly disparate places to understand what your calling might actually be. So the goal is everybody walks out of here with a really neat and tidy sentence that's going to carry you through the rest of your life and you can just attach everything you do to that. Sound good? <laughs> too, is that too lofty? We'll see. I don't know. So, um, and also, just for fun, we're going to only use Ephesians to do that today, okay? Um, so, my, my main text for today is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 21. So, you can turn to that in your pew Bibles. Just kidding, we don't have those. You can read it on the screen with me. Um, so, it's a little bit long, but I want you to be listening. And, you know, especially those of you that have grown up in church, the, for, for me, a lot of times, the, the language of the Bible becomes so familiar that it's unfamiliar. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I can't remember who had said that, like familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. And so just really listen. When we're coming across these words, these phrases in this very dense chapter, really be listening to what the Lord is trying to say in this, okay? Try to hear it with fresh ears. So Paul is kind of talking them through this, this church in Ephesus. He's talking them through this very big picture of who God is, what God has been doing through Jesus, and now he's kind of transferring and saying, okay, so this is what it means for you as a people. This is what God's doing in his people, his church. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Already you're just like, oh, grace, power, uh, stay with him. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. And what was that grace? 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And so Paul's kind of saying, this is my calling. My calling is specifically to the Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Probably most of us, okay? So Paul's knew his specific calling within the larger purpose of God's family, the church, was to this people called the Gentiles. And to kind of give to them this mystery that for a long time was kept hidden in God. Okay? His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying the purpose of the church, the, the rescued and redeemed people of God, is to make known this mystery, this thing that once was hidden in God and in him waiting for the right time to reveal it. Now it's being revealed, but not just in some abstract. It's actually being revealed through a group of people that are being brought together or being redeemed or giving a new identity. But it's not just an identity that we sit and receive. It's also an identity that we practice, that we reveal something to the rest of the world about who God is because of what he's done among us. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which is for your glory. For this reason, I need, and this is the part that I really want you to listen because he's starting, it's, it's, Paul's not just talking about things and stuff and ideas. He's actually, this is an extended prayer and this is his prayer for the church in Ephesus. This is his prayer for us today. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, which is one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. What a beautiful phrase. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I think that that passage, we could spend a year just unpacking it. It's dense, it's rich, and it's full. But this is the kind of the main thing that I, I want you to be aware of in this passage. Through Paul's prayer, he's saying we are empowered by a Trinitarian God to play our part in his purpose. Okay? So what happens is that, that he says, I kneel before the Father. I pray that you would be strengthened through the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in you. You know, there's not a place in the Bible where someone writes down and goes, oh, you know what, by the way, God is actually this Trinitarian God, three and one, one and three, consubstantial, and the, you know, going into all of that stuff. That, that had to come later. That was later on in the early church. The fathers of the church were looking at this and going, oh, this is what's happening. For Paul and for others, God as a Trinity was a very just natural expression that they prayed in this way, that they were acknowledging God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And there's this beautiful dance within the Trinity that we are being welcomed into, and that we experience each person of the Godhead in a very specific way that transforms who we are from the inside out. And so we are empowered by this Trinitarian God to play our part in his purposes. And what does he say in that prayer? Number one, he's strengthening you inwardly through the Holy Spirit. He's giving you this power, but the power is an inward power. And what we've talked about in this community is that the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit within you, first of all, begins with this self-awareness as a gift from the Holy Spirit, that God makes you aware of who you truly are in Jesus. But not only does the Holy Spirit empower you to know who you really are, but he also empowers you to know what it is that you're called to do. In our church, our primary three values, you know, when you came in, you maybe saw those icons on the wall, are intimacy with God that leads us to understand and, and our inheritance and our identity in Christ, and then to discover our purpose as the Spirit-led church, who we are and what we're called to do. 
The second thing that the Spirit does for us is that it establishes love is the foundation for everything that we believe about ourselves and what we're called to do. And that's the intimacy with Jesus. And I love that, that it's, it's this, this idea, the knowledge that surpasses knowledge, that it's understanding how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. How high is the love of Christ that it, it actually lifts us up into the heavenly realms so that we are seated with Father God. How wide is the love of Christ that all people are welcomed in. It's no longer this narrow group of people based on ethnicity or gender or socioeconomic status or all the silly little ways that we divide ourselves as human beings, but the, the love of Christ is so wide that it encompasses all people. And how deep is the love of Christ that Christ would descend to hell on your behalf? There's, there, there's nothing that you have done that you are responsible for in your life that is so deep and buried and dead that Christ can't go to that place to lift you up out of that. And how long is the love of Christ that the, the cross reaches out both ways into history and that everything that will ever be and everything that ever was is redeemed in him. And so when we understand that intimacy with that vision of Jesus, we begin to establish that love becomes the foundation for everything that we do as the church. And then finally, that we are filled with the fullness of God, that you and I are saturated with his presence. I even mentioned this last week a little bit in, 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 my, in my introductory prayer. I read uh, once this beautiful analogy that it's like a sunken ship at the bottom of the ocean. The ship completely is saturated by the ocean and the ocean completely is saturated by the ship. But the ship doesn't contain the ocean. The ocean contains the ship and that's what it's like for you and I. We're, we're that sunken ship that's saturated by the presence of God, enveloped in his presence. We are, we, like every pore of our being kind of seeps out the presence of God if we allow it. And that's the, the challenge of recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is that more and more you're recognizing how saturated you are with the presence of God as Christ dwells in you. And so we have this purpose as the church to reveal the mysteries of God. And I believe that for us, you know, just kind of parsing language, purpose is universal. We all have the same purpose. And we talk about it in different ways. To reveal the love of God. Um, you know, to advance the kingdom of heaven. There's all these different biblical uh, phrases that we use to talk about our purpose. But it's the purpose we have is common. It's the same purpose. And here Paul's talking about it as revealing the mysteries of God. That's our common job. And I believe then when we talk about calling, your calling is the individual way that you have uniquely been crafted to fulfill that common purpose. Does that make sense? So we all have the same purpose, but we all have different callings within that purpose. And so what do, what, do we, what do I want you to know about calling? Your calling is found at the intersection of your story, personality, and gifts. When you begin to examine these three things through that Holy Spirit awareness, understanding your story with God, understanding your personality, how you've been crafted to see the world and, and operate in the world, and the gifts that you've been given through the Holy Spirit, when you begin to look at where all of those things intersect, you're going to get a greater understanding of what your calling is. It's important to recognize your calling is different than your vocation or your job or your career. So I like to think of it like this. My, my calling, my calling's the juice, okay? My calling's the juice that fills this vessel. And right now, for the past six years, the vessel has been pastor at citybeautifulchurch.ch, okay? <laughs> that's, that's my vocation. But if, God willing, something changes, I get fired for too many heresies in a sermon or whatever, or, you know, the Lord calls me into something else, my calling doesn't end with this job. Okay? It has to transcend vocation, career, whatever. That I will still essentially be doing the same thing regardless of what it does. And even, I'm going to be talking a lot about my story today. When I look back and I think about when I was, uh, when I was a high school teacher, when I was a spiritual director at a church, when I was leading a ministry school, this, it was the same thing. You know, there was different vessels for my calling, but my calling transcended those kinds of overly defined uh, elements to become something a little bit more about how I see the world, how God has crafted me, where my heart is in, in, in reaching specific kinds of people. So you have to understand the difference between purpose and calling, but then you have to understand the difference between calling and then your vocation or your career. And so we're going to be looking at those three ingredients of your calling through the lens of the Trinity, of course, because I'm a major fan. I really like that about God. And so, 
I want us to kind of look at story as the, the realm of the Father. I want us to look at personality as the realm of the Son. And I want us to look at gifts as the realm of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, reading your story with Father God will reveal the compassionate authority you have to say, me too. Okay? That God is the author of your story. We, we, we talked about this kind of at the beginning of this series, that we have to remove ourselves from this idea of the interventionist God, which means your story and history in general are just kind of ambling along, and every once in a while, God comes down off the mountain, makes a cameo, stirs some things up, says something, and then kind of goes back up to the mountain. But recognizing, no, God has intimately been present throughout all of space and time, and that's just as true for your personal story as it is the story for all of mankind, that God is always speaking. He's always acting. He's always doing something in your story. And he's always been present. You just weren't always aware of that, right? It's like Jacob when he has that vision in, 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 uh, in his story in Genesis. He wakes up and says, oh, surely the Lord was in this place and I wasn't aware of it. And that's the beauty of us constantly waking up to the constant presence of God the Father in our lives. And what does that mean? It means that God is, is with you at all times, but God is also actively for you at all times. God is always working for your benefit, leading you to the place where you are in deeper intimacy with him, you're understanding your identity more and more day by day, and you're discovering your purposes in him through your calling. And that means that God turns curses into blessings. And this, I think this is maybe the hardest thing to understand about how God works in our stories, but I think it's so powerful. God will never change the events of your past, right? He will never change the events, but he will change the outcome of those events. And so the things that were meant to be a curse actually become a blessing, not because the event, but because of the outcome. The thing that was intended to lead you away from God, to give you a false identity, to, to, to break you into pieces so that you're powerless for the kingdom, God takes all that and says, I can do something with this. And so God turns curses into blessing in our story. And it's when we begin to recognize what are the specific curses in my life that God has turned into blessings that we really understand the power that comes through our story. And here I'm talking about it as a compassionate authority. Or we might say that it's solidarity. To be able to see your story in the life of somebody else and go, oh yes, yeah, I, I, me too, I absolutely know what that's like. I know that experience. I know that story because I've lived it. But I've also experienced a God who has been with me through the whole thing and has turned those curses into blessings. And that those things, in my, you, know, you know that, I mean, there's a, there is a power in coming to someone saying, wow, I have no idea what that's like. But I want to tell you, your first calling is going to be to the people that are in the place that you were just at, okay? And you can take that to the bank. Like, whatever your story was, because it's not motivated by a skill set, it's not motivated by your place of privilege, it's motivated out of a deep open-heartedness to see yourself in the, the life of someone else and go, oh my goodness, I know that. I absolutely know that. We find that in the, in the hymn, Amazing Grace. It says, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. In the simplest terms, what salvation means that it's not just about going to heaven when we die. It's that we were in this place and now we're in this place. And I think when we can begin to articulate that to ourselves, when we ask the Holy Spirit to say, what was that for me? What was my lostness like? What specifically was my, is my foundness like? We have a greater understanding where the specific form of authority that we have to, to preach the good news, to advance the kingdom, reveal the mysteries, whatever language you want to use, actually becomes manifest. And we see this in Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13, that Paul is, is, is actively reminding this church, remember where you were, this lost to found, this blind to seeing. He says, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's true for you. Remember, you were once far away, but now you've been brought near. 
And so how do you begin to gain the language for that general, you were far away, but now you've been brought near, that really speaks to your heart specifically? I think that's when you begin to read your story through the Holy Spirit, you start to gain that language. So for example, for me, recognizing not only am I an actual immigrant that I moved when I was five from another country to here, and there was that, you know, I've talked about it many times, that feeling of not quite fitting in. Yeah, everybody spoke English, and you know, I moved to Michigan, so most people were white. <laughs> Let's see how many Michiganians or Michiganders here. Okay, yeah, small town in Michigan. You know, people looked like me and they kind of talked like me, but it was always a little bit off. It, I always felt like it wasn't obvious that if we had moved to another country, you know, like if we had moved to China, it'd be like, oh, this is obviously not the same as what I grew up in. But as a five-year-old, I was just having a hard time recon reconciling that. And so I felt just a little bit off from everybody else. But I've also spoken about many times how recognizing in my own story, not only am I literally an immigrant, but I was also a bit of a religious immigrant. That I grew up in a certain tradition, a certain way of doing church, of understanding faith. That I, my, my father is an Anglican priest and I grew up in that tradition. And then after college, I entered into a charismatic church, a vineyard church. And it was this totally different experience of church. Looking back on it now, I recognize, and the Lord's spoken to me so much about it, it's like I needed this other piece to kind of flesh out some of the things I needed to be true to, but to experience him, to experience the Holy Spirit. But what I've recognized in my own story is I have a real heart for people that have lived that. I was here, and then I'm here, and I don't know what this is like. How many of you, you'd maybe consider yourself a bit of a religious immigrant? You, you move from one tradition to another and it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little strange, okay? See, that's my story too. Another thing, being a pastor's kid, is that I grew up in church. I don't remember a time where I didn't know God. I don't remember a time where I wasn't engaging with scripture or learning worship. But what that set up for me was that it became rote. You know, it became obvious. It's like, oh yeah, okay, Ephesians chapter two in the NIV, I can prattle it off. You know, that kind of familiarity breathing unfamiliarity thing. And so much of what the Lord's done in my adult life is to kind of breathe new life into the things that have always been there. So I also recognize that I have a special calling. And it, again, this isn't exclusive. It doesn't mean that I don't have things to say to other people, but I have a very special calling to people that have grown up in the church and somehow have become disillusioned by her, okay? who have said, well, there's got to be something more to church, to faith, to God than everything that I've grown up with. Because so much of my story is saying, yes, there is. And I know it because I found it. And to be able to step back into the church and go, oh my gosh, it's all here. But it all means something more to me right now. And so for me, my calling because of my story really encapsulates that, that transition. I was kind of here, but now I'm here. I was, I've immersed in this stuff so much. It was stuffed to the gills of churchiness that I needed all of that to be redeemed and to find life at the core of our faith. And so for you, it may be a life situation. There was, there was an attitude or there was a general sentiment that you were living in before you met God. Maybe there was an earthquake event, something huge or traumatic or, or pivotal that really changed in your life or, or it defined you for so long. Maybe it was a certain kind of person that you are or were that gives you this special authority to see that in the lives of other people and go, oh yes, me too. And so we're gonna, I'm going to pray and I want you to take a moment with the Holy Spirit and just dialogue on just a couple of these very basic just intro questions to understanding your story. Number one, what were the major themes in my life when I met God? And again, in Ephesians 2, saying, once you were separated and excluded, but now you've been welcomed in. Once you were far away, but now you've been drawn in. So maybe your story is a story of you were excluded. You were overlooked. You were rejected. You were abused. Can you name what that general theme was in your story perhaps before you met God or before you really began to see the redeeming work in your life. And the second question, what are the specific qualities of God's character that brought me near to him and saved me? So, for example, if you were somebody who was overlooked or neglected, maybe the specific way in which God saved you was to say, I see you. I have a special affection for you. And it was God's welcomingness that becomes your salvation. So we're going to pray, and I want you to just consider those two questions with the Holy Spirit. 
God, you are with us and that you are for us in our stories. We haven't always realized it, but we're, we're learning and we're opening up more and more to that. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of your, your dear ones here? And would you give us the language to understand in our stories where we were when we met you and the specific expression of your character that has rescued us and redeemed us and drawn us near to you? Speak, Lord, for we're listening. feel free to continue writing if the Lord's speaking things to you, um, but we're just going to continue on. So your story, we can see it as the realm of the Father, who's moving through your story with you, is redeeming things as they go along, revealing to you who you truly are. The second element of your calling is your personality. And so your redeemed personality is a reflection of Jesus the Son in his full humanity. If we have to get away from that idea of the interventionist God who just kind of shows up every once in a while and stirs things up and then goes back onto the mountain, we need to redeem this idea of a God where somehow humanity is a parasite that needs to get rid of in order to be truly divine. Right? Agent Smith, Agent Smith would agree. M Matrix reference. Generations. All right. <laughs> Are you excited about the fourth one? No. No. Okay. Me neither. <laughs> Um, we, we believe somehow our, our humanity is a thing that's kind of, you know, especially, let's talk especially about our, our, our emotions. They're kind of this liability or the flesh is this liability, right? And we've believed this idea that, oh, in order for God to be truly God, he has to transcend being emotional or having physical appearance. We call that uh, dualism and Gnosticism, by the way, for those of you who are keeping track at home. But we, we have to recognize, no, Jesus was fully God and fully human, that it's not about getting rid of our humanity so that we can be godlike. It's about allowing our humanity to be redeemed. And I think redemption is such a powerful idea. God does not scrap the raw elements of who you are and insert something that's alien and foreign, okay? He doesn't do that. That's kind of, I think, what part of the, the, the story of, of Noah and the flood is about. God's saying, I'm not gonna scrap it all. And, and just start over again. I'm gonna do the hard work of engaging with my creation and redeeming it and rescuing it and drawing it, all the raw elements back into my essential purposes. And so we're talking about how purpose is different than calling, calling is different than vocation. I wanna, you would recognize identity is different than personality, okay? If we all have the same purpose, we all have the same identity. And again, lots of biblical language. You are the image of God. You are an image bearer. You are a son or a daughter of God. There's a lot of different language we use for identity and it's, it's the same. We have a common identity and your identity never changes, okay? Your identity is constant. You might be aware, more aware of your identity in moments and you might be less aware of it in other moments, but it never actually changes. Your personality is something that kind of sits on top of your identity. Maybe your personality is the specific way that you express the common identity that we have. And your personality is found specifically in the ways in which you think, act, and feel. 
the ways that you're perceiving the world and the ways that you are putting energy out into the world. And I, I think understanding that idea that, okay, so here's my personality. God's not going to scrap it and just do something that looks more Jesus-y in me. So I could give a very easy example. How many of you would say you're introverts? How many of you said you're extroverts? I think that's one that's very common where people think, oh my goodness, like if I give my life to Christ, he's going to, usually, let's be honest in church, it's, I'm going to have to get rid of my introvertedness and become an extrovert, right? And we, and that, and we feel this hesitation. It's like, that's what it is. And that's not it at all. It's God's not going, oh, I need to scrap this bit of you and I need to insert this thing. Like you're not, you're not a robot. You're not a machine that just gets parts replaced so that it's more efficient. But God, what, the real questions are, what, is, what does blessed introvertedness look like? What is redeemed introvertedness that reveals the character of Christ? What is blessed extrovertedness that reveals the qualities of Christ? And redemption is hard work, but I think redemption is so much more worth it. That's the kingdom way. You know, we've been using this graphic about this, this prism that kind of light shines into a prism and then it's, it's uh, dispersed and it becomes all of these different rainbow, you know, this different rainbow of light. And that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about your, call, your calling is if you've ever you know, messed with those in like fifth grade or whatever, with those little prisms, you have to tweak it and adjust it. And it doesn't seem like it's working and the light's coming in, but nothing's coming out. And then you just turn it just the right way. And all of a sudden, boom, all of these beautiful lights shine out of it. And that's what it's like with your personality is God is taking the raw elements of who you are and he's kind of tweaking it and adjusting it to get the light just right so that when your personality is aligned with the kingdom, boom, he is revealed through you. He's revealed through the ways that you think, the ways that you feel, and the ways that you act. So for example, for me, you know, over, over the past several years, I've been really learning that like the core motivator in my life is pursuing peace, togetherness, wholeness. That I see the world as either reconciled or unreconciled, which would be a little bit different from others of you. And I've recognized in my life that that thing, that's, that's my personality. And when it's raw and it's unkempt and it's not redeemed, what happens to me? I become very avoidant of conflict. I won't choose into it because I believe that's gonna rob me of peace. I become very passive. And I don't reach out and, and, and choose to act. I become very doing repressed. And it become, I can become very withdrawn. And I can shut down and just smile and nod in order to maintain peace. But so much of what the Lord's been doing in my life over the past several years is speaking to me. It's not about me leaving behind that motivator in my life. It's saying, what is real peace? What is true kingdom peace? Not this counterfeit avoidant thing that I've been living in for so long, but what is real kingdom-minded peace that reveals the character of God? And when I'm able to step into that, allow that to be re re like redeemed by him, I recognize in my own life that I have this innate ability to see beneath the surface of conflict, to see what it is people are debating about and to get to that deeper thing. Number one, that puts us all on the same level. And number two, recognizes, oh, there's actually more at work than whatever this surface argument might be. That God has blessed me with his ability to call all of us back to what actually matters. I mean, how often do we allow our little points of theology or spiritual practice or whatever to divide us up into 41,000 denominations, right? And God has blessed me because of this motivation of peace to peer beneath the surface and to call everyone back to the core things that really matter. Intimacy with God, pursuing him with everything that we are. And I think this is the place. There are so many tools at your disposal in this era. We have Myers-Briggs. We have Enneagram. We have Harry Potter houses. Like, we've got all of these things. Hufflepuff, anyone else? Woo! Yay! I'm very excited one over there. Yay! We're loyal! Yellow! Badgers! I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but I know that's where I'm at. We have... We have all these gifts. I just... Cedric Diggory. I'm like, we're on the same team, and I'm digging that. We're like, we have all these tools at our disposal that, you know, and I think the biggest thing, and I think a lot of you that, that do personality work would agree, uh, diagnosis is not the same thing as cure, right? Just because you know what you're like, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm fixed because I'm now an Enneagram 7 or I'm an INFJ or whatever. I'm a Hufflepuff. It's... <laughs> It's a diagnosis. You got language and you go, okay, now can I bring this to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here's the things that I'm starting to recognize about myself. Can you give me vision for what it looks like? Not for this to be scrapped, but for it to be redeemed. And so it's 
we're in a beautiful time where we are able to tap into these tools and gain some language, and it gives us focus in our engagement with God. And so we're going to take some time, and I'm going to pray that that the Lord would begin to reveal to you things about your personality. And I gave you just two basic questions, but feel free to run far beyond this. Number one, what brings me to life? What animates me? What gets me going? What makes me feel alive? And what are the things that stress me and drain me, make me feel small, make me feel dead? And then the other question, do I most naturally perceive the world through my heart? With, am I a feelings first person? Through my brain, am I a big thinker? Or gut, am I a very instinctual person? Am I a feeler, thinker, or doer? So let's pray and just ask the Lord to, to remind you of your personality. Um, so Jesus, when we look at you, not only do we see the best image of what God is really like, we also see the best image of what we are like. And Jesus, I thank you that you don't want to scrap all the amazing diversity in this room of personality, but you actually, you do want to redeem it. And you do want to call it into kingdom account. So Jesus, would you speak to each of us right now about how you've crafted us? Give us the language, remind us of things perhaps we've already learned about ourselves that will help us to give you our personality each and every day to be redeemed and drawn deeper into your kingdom reality. So your story is the realm of the Father who moves with you, turns curses into blessings. Your personality is the realm of the Son who came to show you what you look like in your most human place, in the way that God has designed you and is calling you back into your true identity. And then finally, that your gifts are the realm of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit grants you gifts to reveal the mysteries of God to the world around you. And sometimes we're very afraid, Am I, do I have the Holy Spirit, do I not? Here's the first thing that I would say about this. If you can grasp even a sliver of the love that God has for you, you already know the Holy Spirit, okay? So just relax. Like that's where it starts. John Wesley called it prevenient grace. Just the fact that you can like understand an ounce of what God is, already means that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. So it's not a question of like, you have to do a ritual to get the Holy Spirit to like possess you so that you can like live it out. He's already there and he's already speaking. It's becoming more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And I love how Paul speaks about the Holy Spirit in the beginning of Ephesians. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. And I love that. It's like God's saying, right now you're in and I've given you the Holy Spirit and it's a seal. You know, it's like the the wax seal. Like I've I've stamped you with my presence and he says, I'm giving you a deposit, okay? So it's like, I'm gonna gonna make good on this this fee that I've promised you, this inheritance. I'm giving you this deposit right now to, to tell you I'm good for my word. And later on, you're going to get all of it. So the Holy Spirit is given to us as this seal, as this deposit now to do this work in anticipation of our full inheritance. And he goes on, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
Again, we have that Trinitarian language, not as theology, but as a relational language for understanding God. That he's asking God of Jesus Christ, the glorious Father revealed in Jesus Christ, to give us the Spirit. And one thing that's really helpful for me, you know, a lot of times we think of it as like an upside down V. There's like God the Father, and he's got a, this relationship with the Holy Spirit, got this relationship with Jesus. When I started calling the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus, it kind of helped connect the dot there. So it's not just an upside down V, but it's this actual cycle. That it's the Spirit of Jesus in you that's helping you to know God better. And so we talk a lot in church about spiritual gifts. And we find this in a lot of different passages in scripture. Um, different lists have different numbers. There's probably about 23 of them maybe. Um, and it, it's really powerful when we begin to understand the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Some of them are written in, into our DNA, kind of like our personalities. And it's again, the process of redemption. Sometimes spiritual gifts are granted to us later in life as we're walking this out with the Holy Spirit. We actually have really good resources for this. If you ever want to learn more about spiritual gifts, you can go to citybeautiful.ch slash gifts. And we have a uh, kind of prayerful reflection that'll take you through the process of understanding some of the spiritual gifts and doing that assessment to know how has God gifted me specifically to advance his kingdom. Um, but there's other kinds of gifts than these spiritual gifts. Um, there's relational gifts. What are the relationships in your life that you've been granted that are opportunities for you to reveal the love of God? Your friends, your family, co-workers, the people that you're engaging with day to day. And what are situational gifts that you have been granted that are, again, opportunities for you to demonstrate the love of God? Do you have certain positions in your life? Do you have a certain platform that you've been granted that isn't just about you and your betterment and your comfort, but is actually, okay, this is an opportunity for me to reveal the love of God to a very specific group of people. And so we understand our spiritual gifts, our relational gifts, and our situational gifts. We kind of hand that all over to God and say, okay, let's see you redeem these things. So the questions that I've given you um, for the Holy Spirit are these. What are some of the spiritual gifts I know that God has granted me? And what are specific positions in life that are a gift to me to share God's love? So for example, I know that the spiritual gifts that I have are the gift of pastoring, gift of teaching, and the gift of wisdom. And when I began to really partner that with this story of being a church kid, of growing up immersed in this, I began to see, oh, the specific kind of pastor that I'm called to be, the specific way in which I teach has a special authority that comes out of my story of being in the church, of questioning, well, is this all there is? Is this the best that we can do? There's got to be more when it comes to understanding God, when it comes to understanding the Bible. And for those of you that have been part of this church for a long time, hopefully you've recognized that in me, or else I'm not doing a very good job, of partnering my story, my personality, this desire for peace, and the gifts that God has granted me to, to be that specific expression that I'm a different kind of pastor than, than Justin at one church or, or, or Ben at, um, oh my gosh, what's Ben's church? Huh? The cross. Thank you. It's like such a powerful name that you, you know, you forget it, you know, or my friend Dave, who's a, at Emmanuel Episcopal church over in, um, in Audubon Park. Like we're all pastors, but our gifts and our stories all can like converge to make us very different in our expression of that. And then, you know what happened to me, which was so neat when I began to, to recognize that? It, it, I kind of let myself off the hook for not being like my dad, not being like the, the, my pastor Josh that was the first person to bring me into the ministry, to be like my friends in the city of Orlando to go, oh my gosh, I'm not like them, so I'm not doing my job. To go, no, 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 the kind of pastor that I'm called to be has to meet my story. And in fact, I tried to do it like other people and I didn't see a lot of fruit from it you know, tried to teach like other people taught or, or whatever it might be. And I had to have that confidence from the Holy Spirit to tap into my own inner voice and go, oh, this is what it looks like for me to do these things because of how God has crafted me. And so when you begin to examine that intersection, that's when you really get to calling. So I'm going to pray, and I want you just to consider the spiritual gifts that God's given you, positions in life that God has blessed you with, situations, relationships that might speak to opportunities for you to revoke God's love. So Holy Spirit, again, would you uh, speak to us? Some of us are very aware of the spiritual gifts. Some of us, that's pretty new language and that's okay. But Holy Spirit, what are the things that you've given us? Whether they're woven into our DNA or maybe they're new opportunities 
that become these, uh, these, these moments, these chances, this specific expression of love through the vessel that we are. Speak to us for we're listening. Holy Spirit, speak. So your story is the realm of the Father. Your personality is the realm of the Son. Your gifts are a realm of the Holy Spirit. And so when, like I said, when we begin to examine those three things and and figure out where is the overlap, where are the connections between these things, we start to gain the language for our calling. I think this is so important, that your calling will grow with you as you continue to follow Jesus where he leads. This is really tricky, I think, when you're, when you're trying to figure out your calling. Somehow your calling has to be big enough and also specific enough to carry through your life with you. Sometimes we can, we can have language for a calling that's so big that it could apply to anybody. But we can also have language for our calling that's so specific that it doesn't really move with us from one season to the next. And that's tricky, but I think it's doable when you begin to really look at your story and your personality and your gifts to say, what's my calling? What's the thing that's going on here as a Trinitarian God interacts with me, rescues and redeems me and saves me and positions me then to go back out and to share his love with the world? So six months into me first entering into the ministry, I was asking God to reveal to me, like, what's my calling? What's the thing that I can hang all the other things on? And I always had a tr- trouble with this idea of like, are you a thinker or a feeler? And I kind of was like both and kind of like none. And, and I was working through some of that stuff and I really felt like the Lord said to me, your calling is to reconcile the heart and the mind to bring it all back together. All these little bits and pieces that have been broken into shards of of, of what human beings are by the world and the enemy and the flesh, your job is to be part of my process of reconciling all things, bringing them back together, being in harmony. And that's really carried through in a lot of what I do. I see that now as a pastor. I see that when I was a spiritual director. I see that even when I was an art teacher that that was part of what I was doing, was bringing back together the heart and the mind and allowing that to be a whole human being. So that's just an example. So the last thing that we're going to do is the real challenge, the real juice. Can you sum up your calling in a sentence or two? That when you interact with the Holy Spirit and you're seeing these things, your story, your personality, your gifts, can you begin to connect the dots there to have some language for what your calling is. So that's our last little moment. Just take some time and let's see if the Lord can give you anything there. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. there was a second little strip of paper on your clipboard and that little paper asks for your name and then it asks for you to write down your calling so once you've got something figured out on your half sheet that's for you to keep I want you to write something on that little piece of paper and maybe you don't have the language for your whole calling right now that's fine Maybe you you just got a little bit of insight today into your story. Maybe you got a little insight into your personality. Or maybe you got some insight into your gifts. I want you to write that on there because we're going to step into a time of communion coming to the Lord's table. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to bring up that little piece of paper with your name and something about your calling on it. And you can fold it up. And you're going to put it in one of these baskets up here as a, as, as a symbolic demonstration. Lord, whatever... I am, whatever I do, my calling, I'm, I'm giving it to you. I want to see you redeem me. 
I want to see you save me and rescue me more and more. And I want to lay down everything that I am to you for your purposes, trusting that whatever that is is far greater than anything that I could imagine on my own. And as you lay that down, then you're going to come to the, the, the cup and the bread to take into you the person of Jesus. That I believe that the, you know, when we come to the Lord's table and we take part in Holy Communion, Eucharist, Lord's table, however you talk about it, that in some way it's this exchange. It's not a transaction. It's this beautiful exchange with God where there's this giving and receiving of love and hope and identity. I came across this quote, which I think is so beautiful for this moment this week. In the breaking of bread together, we reclaim our own broken condition rather than denying its reality. We become more aware than ever that we are taken, set apart as witnesses for God, that we are blessed by words and acts of grace, and that we are broken, not in revenge or cruelty, but in order to become bread, which can be given as food to others. When two, three, ten, a hundred, a thousand people eat the same bread and drink the same cup, and so become united with the broken and poured out life of Christ. They discover that their own lives are part of that one life and thus recognize each other as brothers and sisters. And is that not what we're doing as we come and we lay down our personality, our story, our gifts? We are recognizing that we are the ones that are broken open for the sake of the world so that we might reveal the goodness of God and rescue and redeem others, drawing them into his family. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm going to invite you to the holy table to give and to receive, to offer up a pleasing sacrifice and to take into yourself the last and final sacrifice that was ever required. God, I thank you that you are in the business of redemption. And not only do you give us a new identity when we enter into your family, but you give us something to do. You've got work for us. Not because we need to earn something from you, but because it becomes a natural outpouring of recognizing that we're now part of your family, that we are your children. And so, Lord, in this moment, we offer back to you our stories, our personality, and our gifts, our calling. We offer it to you and say, do with this what you will. We trust you more with these things than we trust ourselves. And Lord, I pray as we take into ourselves the body and blood of Jesus, that it would break us open. That as this, like this bread and this cup, we have been set apart. We have been broken and we have been offered to a world in desperate need of your redemption. So come, Lord Jesus, speak to us in this moment. May all things be for your glory now and forever. Amen. Let's come to the table. You start in the front and move your way back. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.